Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12. And as you come in, we always have Bibles available for you, and you can either get them now, and whenever you take one of the Bibles, feel free to keep uh, the Scripture with you. Today I'm in preaching uh, from the ESV, which is a little different, but it brings clarity to what I think God is saying today in that particular interpretation. Christians all over the world today, as, as Pastor Deborah mentioned to you, are celebrating Advent and specifically focusing on the subject of joy. So here we go, right? Another Christian message on joy. Sometimes um, we, we anticipate the subject and part of us can groan inwardly uh, because we live in a world where every day on this globe and every day in this nation, every day in this city, and every day in this congregation, people are dealing with significant issues that are not very joyful. Issues such as abuse, cancer, marital problems, rebellious children, financial shortfall, other various physical challenges, addictions. Sometimes a message on joy seems a little trite. What I mean by trite is this, it just lacks freshness. It lacks originality. And we can somewhat feel obligated to project this type of joyful persona because we're Christians and that's kind of part of the deal. We've been told you have to be joyful because you're a Christian. And so it makes us feel a little less than human because every one of us deals with you know, emotional issues and some measure of depression. And when we have a wrong perspective of joy, we think we have to live with pretense and pretend to be something that we're not. A lot of the Christian sermons and songs and writings and even verbal phrases we use seem to demand us to be joyful when often the circumstances of our life just don't match that. Well, I want you to hear right at the beginning of this sermon, before we get into the text, I have a little longer introduction today, that I want to put you at ease about this. Just because you're a Christian doesn't automatically mean you have the emotion of joy. That, that is, a, I think, a misleading way we present that. Because it's quite possible that your, land, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you understand the grace of God and you've settled the issue of heaven and hell, but you are dealing with some of the things that I mentioned, some things that are imposed upon you and some things that are just a struggle. Now, I, what I want to suggest to you today is that even as Christians, we are challenged with the subject of joy because we don't focus on the correct things. And let me just rephrase that. We don't focus on the correct thing. Now, now here is where preachers and modern preachers typically begin to insert practical steps. I, I want to give you some practical steps, uh, steps to reduce stress in your life and to manage your time better in the holidays and give you some practical steps on how to stay emotionally healthy and physically healthy. You know, these steps are helpful and I benefit from those, but they're not timeless because they change from generation to generation. 20 years from now, if someone 
get a hold of this download and I only gave you these real pragmatic steps on how to elevate your mood, it may be laughable because it's a different era. Also, geographically, there's different contexts. And so advice that I give you that is simply pragmatic may apply here in the American South, but it doesn't apply in Europe or it doesn't apply in China. Or it could be that generationally, um, that certain steps that we suggest to young parents don't necessarily apply uh, directly to empty nesters. And so the problem is, I could give you all these pragmatic steps, and I may land with some people here or some people there, and, and I may give you some steps to temporarily elevate your mood, but in the end, it comes and it goes. That type of advice is relevant today and irrelevant tomorrow. That's why we need something that's timeless. Uh, the word, theological word, is transcendent, something that's universal and timeless, that's beyond the scope of our circumstances, and it's beyond the whims of whatever is trendy today. It's something that is, um, is sent from God itself to be the centerpiece of our life. And so it is not changeable. And so I want you to know right up front that permanent joy, not, not situational joy, but permanent joy doesn't come from practical steps, sentimental feelings, or cultural traditions. Joy, now get ready, and this is the, child, the children's Sunday school answer, but it's true. Joy is Jesus. And it's not simply acknowledging the person of Jesus, even though that is a necessary first step. Us acknowledging Jesus exists and that he is God is necessary, and it's certainly the starting place. But what joy is, is understanding the gospel and understanding the implications of the gospel in our lives. This is where I want to suggest to you that we have joy in every situation. Because the gospel message, and what, what I mean by the gospel message is this, is the understanding that Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, Jesus was resurrected as God, and Jesus is coming again. This is the gospel message, and when we understand its implications and we center our lives around this message, it means any circumstance we face, whether it's adversity or sickness or prosperity or fame or whatever challenge it is, joy can infect every area of our life when the gospel is the center of our lives. The problem is this. I think the problem is actually getting better, but the problem in the American church for many years has been people are bored with Jesus. And it is even saying that feels odd, especially if we're gonna generalize here and I'm gonna generalize, uh, baby boomers, the gospel wasn't enough. And so they needed to be entertained at church. Now, the millennials, even though there's not as many Christians percentage-wise among the millennials, in my opinion, those who are serving the Lord have a more pure gospel. They don't want to be entertained. Uh, they'll, they'll leave the entertainment to Hollywood. They, they want uh, Jesus, and they want the simplicity of the gospel. They want to center their life around the gospel. So there's many great things in the future of the church. There's a pure church coming forth. There's a more Jesus-centered church that is, is being manifested in, in, in America today. And 
how this affects joy is the centerpiece of our lives. When it is the gospel and when it is Jesus, that joy will permeate every single situation that we're going to face today. Now, how many are you ready for the Bible now? You've had enough of Aaron. We're going to go to Isaiah 12. And here's a good question. How do you choose joy? Well, I'm going to give you three things today. They're not the only three things, but they're three points from the scripture. So today's scripture, our key scripture is going to be Isaiah chapter 12. And in every point, we're going to look at scriptures in Isaiah 12. And then we'll also look at supporting scriptures. As you're finding Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, I want you to think of a situation you've been in before. If you've ever worked with a vulnerable people, that could be a child, it could be the homeless, as we mentioned today, it could be the elderly or the sick, and to a lesser degree, even an animal. You're working with a vulnerable person or a vulnerable species. Um, The first emotion of the vulnerable being is this, some level of fear. There's some level of fear because someone more powerful than me is about to work with me or give me instructions or has dominion over me. And so what does a good trainer or a good leader, a good pastor, a good teacher, a good coach, whatever you want to say, a good boss, what does he or she establish as the basis of good leadership? The first thing is trust. Trust is the first thing. I want to suggest to you, and you can fill in the blanks before we go to Isaiah 2, the first thing you're going to see out of this passage is this, is when we have joy, when we have trust instead of fear. Write that down. Trust instead of fear. Isaiah 12, 2 says this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Now, I just want to focus on the first part of that verse now. We'll get to the second part later. Now, some of you may have needed a word from God today. And you you may have thought in your head, I hope Aaron's on today. (laughs) I hope he preaches a good one because I need it. Well, regardless of whether I am doing that or not, or will do that, there is a word from God for you today. And it's right there on the screen or in your Bible. It's in the scripture. The first part of this verse, this is, I know some of you just need to hear this today. God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Case closed right there. That's the word of the Lord for you today. I will trust and will not be afraid. Some of you, this would be a good thing to, this would be a good phrase to underline in your Bible, to type it out in your phone, to write it out if you're old school on an index card and tape it to the windshield of your car as long as you can drive safely. Whatever method you use to have this phrase in front of you, I will trust and will not be afraid. Is that not a good word from the Lord? In fact, um, it would be good if you, some of you really need to make this your prayer in the coming weeks. You can almost say it in two breaths. I will trust and will not be afraid. And throughout the day, just say that occasionally. With feelings of anxiety come over you. When feelings of fear come over you. I will trust. I will not be afraid. This is a helpful, this is a good phrase. And what this is doing is this is establishing your relationship with God as your father. Or God as your coach. Or God as your teacher. God as your trainer. God as someone who is more powerful than you. Who has dominion over you. 
but he loves you and he's establishing trust because he wants to replace trust with the fear you have in your life. Now, here's the truth. Every single human being deals with fear. And anyone who says they're fearless, they may have positioned themselves to act fearless in a certain situation or they may be fearless over a particular, you know, a particular challenge. But no one is without fear. It's the way we're created. Our human nature is to fear something. And that's why we overcome fear and we move into trust, not by our own power or our own strength. It's by the presence of God in our lives. This is where we get trust. Now, go with me to Zephaniah chapter 3. This is one of those great scriptures in the Old Testament written many hundreds of years before Jesus came uh, to earth. It's, it's a scripture that tells about his coming and then also speaks to us who live in the age after his coming when the Holy Spirit resides in us. Zephaniah chapter 3, starting with verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. I love verse 15. In fact, I just want to go ahead and just preemptively tell you this is going to be a good place to say amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pause and look, and I want you to say amen if you agree, okay? Because it's going to be so good. Verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Yeah, that's good. And I am so glad. Aren't you glad? Because if I was under the judgment of the Lord, I know that my behavior, my intentions, my thoughts, my careless words would not hold up against the judgment of the Lord. But by grace, the Lord has taken away the judgment against me. Isn't that not great? This is what the prophet in Zephaniah is saying. This is what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. When the incarnation happens, when God becomes man, this is what's going to happen. The judgment is taken away against you. As we travel on through verse 15, he has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. See, see this, with the presence of God, fear leaves. I want, I want you to understand this. Any psychological trick, any human accommodation can deal with a phobia or a fear temporarily. But with the presence of God, the spirit of fear leaves you. With his presence is trust. And with his trust and presence, fear leaves. This is good news. Fear is natural. Fear is real. But fear, we are not victims of fear. And we don't stay in fear. Why? Because of the presence of God. I love there in verse 15, he says, he's in our midst. Isn't that what Advent's about? It's about the coming. It's about the incarnation. It's about the fact that God's presence is with us, that Jesus came. But when Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, listen, I know it seems sad that my physical body's ascending to heaven. But Jesus said, in essence, this, he said, it's going to be better for you that I go because I'm sending my Holy Spirit and he will be with you always. He's always with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. This is such good news. Verse 16, on that day, and that's the day we live in now, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is our gift the gift of his presence. And every one of you have the presence of the Lord. 
Every one of you, every one of you who believes in Jesus and received his, you have God's presence with you. Can I just let you know that God's presence is not for the special and it's not for the elite. It's not for the holy men and women. God's presence is for every single believer. Every single one of you, you have God's presence with you. you I didn't say you deserve God's presence because you don't on your own. I didn't say you were qualified to house God's presence. This is what you've been. You've been chosen. You've been marked by God. And he has put his Holy Spirit in you as a deposit of greater things. And the presence of God is with you. And so there's nothing you have to fear. I know there are various fears in here. And I could list 20 of them and hit a lot of them, but that's not the important thing, that I speak your fear. The important thing is God knows your fear. He knows your fear. He knows the details of your fear. And he knows, he knows how, how to help you overcome those fears. And that, that answer is him. He is the answer. Later on today, I want you to read Philippians chapter four, verse four through seven. It talks about the, the way joy helps us overcome our anxiety. My youngest son is 12 years old. About probably five years ago, Lincoln had a problem. His problem was he kept walking away from us when, when we were in public places. I mean, the kid would start daydreaming and we'd be walking along in a store. We're like, where's Lincoln? And we'd turn around, he'd be way behind us or he'd be, somewhere looking at a store product and, and just daydreaming. And I, I used to threaten him. It was an empty threat because I would never do this. There was this little kid who used to be at the church years ago and his, his mom had like a human leash on him and we called him the leash kid. And um, I know his name too, but in this context, we call him the leash kid. And so I'd say, I'd say Lincoln, do you want to be the leash kid? I'm going to leash you up if you don't stay with us. That's supposed to be funny. It sounds like a bad parenting moment. <laughs> Like I said, it was an empty threat, and I wasn't going to do it. But, but Lincoln, um, you know, he kept daydreaming, and he kept, you know, he, kept, he kept getting off course. And so we'd warn him, and, come on, son, you're going to get lost. Well, one time we were at Six Flags with extended family coming off the Roaring Rapids ride. Everyone needed to go to the restroom. And you know, it's kind of like the story with Jesus uh, going from Jerusalem back to Nazareth. I thought Beth had him. Beth thought I had him. Someone else thought Aunt Shelby had him. And nobody had him. We looked up and Lincoln was gone. So all of the normal emotions you have occurred. I mean, panic and, you know, fear. And, and so we, we all went different directions. And then someone found him with a security guard. And he, he went up that security guard and the guy looked official, had six flags, said, I need to find my family. He helped him. And when he was reunited with, with the family, that look, it was almost instant from bewilderment of fear to instant joy because he had been lost, had been separated. Now he was found again. I didn't really interview him for this sermon, but I've been a kid too. So you would, you've been a kid also. And you know that feeling, the irrational feelings that happen when you're lost from your family. I mean, you, you rationally think, will I ever see them again? Do they want to lose me? Will they find me? Well, you know, there, there's all those, there's irrational fears that happen. And then one look, one look at a family member, those fears are gone. And instead of fear, joy comes because you're right back in the place you're supposed to be. 
Brothers and sisters, this story, and you've been through this story too, either as a parent or as a child, it's a reminder to us of the joy we need for our salvation. Here's the second observation from the scripture today. Joy from salvation. You know, Lincoln was not as lost as he probably thought he was. He was still in the boundaries of the park and he had a bunch of people looking for him. And I think too that, you know, we probably weren't as lost as we thought, but we sure did feel lost, didn't we? When we lost our way, or we didn't know our Savior, but he's searching for us. And he's sending out his Holy Spirit to bring us back in. And by focusing on that, that brings us so much greater joy. The problem is this, is that the enemy wants us to focus on the temporal things. Well, we didn't get that promotion. Or, well, um, the friend we went to high school with is making more money than us. Or, or the car broke down again. Or by this point in my life, I thought I was going to be a best-selling author on the Today Show, and, and my timeline's not working out for me yet. We get so focused on those that we forget that we were once lost, we were once outside of God's family, we were once in sin and in chains and in bondage, and now we're in God's family. And when we begin to focus on the correct things, joy comes in any circumstance, no matter what we face when we are gospel-centered, Jesus-centered people, there is no lack of joy in our lives. So, so it is in, back to the text today, verse three. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I like that phrase a lot. Isn't that a good word picture? Especially in the ancient world where they went every day to the well and they drew up water. And the Lord's saying this, with joy, you're gonna to go to the source every day. And every day you need joy. You're gonna, you're gonna focus on your salvation. You're gonna focus on Jesus. You're gonna focus on who he is. Every single day, you're gonna be a Jesus-focused person. In our vernacular today, it would be like, go to the water faucet and turn on the water faucet and get a drink whenever you need to. Of course, you guys use bottled water, so maybe that's not gonna work as well as I thought. But... I'm still old-fashioned. I still believe in drinking out of the faucet. My family doesn't. That means I always have to go to the van and carry. I, that's my job is to carry the water bottles from the van back into the house because they're all a little, you know, hotty. They have to have the water bottle. But, you know, I talked to my dentist, and he said that drinking out of the tap is actually better for us because we, there's fluoride in it. So I've got everyone beat on that, right? Okay, I need to get back to the sermon here. All right, let me get back to the sermon. I love that phrase though. And I wanted to, the reason I talked about the faucet is to even make it more relevant to you. you with joy, you'll draw from the well, water from the wells of salvation or you'll just go to that faucet and anytime you need a drink of Jesus, you focus on the gospel, you focus on the cross, you focus on the resurrection, you focus on his coming again. Don't get dragged down by earthly circumstances. Don't get dragged down by all of the things that want to distract us and make us feel worthless, make us feel unimportant, make us feel like we're failures. When God has chosen us, he's given us the ability to choose him and that we are children of God, getting to know everything that he has for us. You know, when we get to know somebody, one of the questions we come and ask them, ask others, what kind of music do you listen to? Now, this is especially true as teenagers and adolescents because that's kind of a 
getting, getting a right to the club, choosing the right type of music. But it's also helpful to us, and of course, we all answer the same thing. The first time we were asked, we say, well, I listen to a little bit of everything, because I'm eclectic, and I can tell you about jazz and classical and Americana music and top 40, so everyone's a music expert, right? But when we dig down deeper, we find out what, what type of music causes people's heart to, be, to come alive, because Music is important to us because music kind of expresses our heart and, and it tells a lot about who we are. That's why these different sports teams we've been watching a lot of times after the game, yesterday after the Army-Navy game, uh, the teams sang the song for their schools or for their branch of government. Um, there's a lot of love for your school when you sing an alma mater. There's a... Um, for those of you who served in the military or you are the spouse of someone who served in the military, you probably sing patriotic songs just with just a little more intensity than, than people like me who, who didn't volunteer to serve just because there, there is greater sacrifice and you've known personally people who have sacrificed. Song is, a song comes from the heart. That's why there's, nations have songs. Even pubs in Europe, there are certain songs that people sing traditionally that says, hey, this is who we are. And when we sing this song, it, there's a sense of solidarity. So music is really important. Here's my last point today about joy, especially in a season when we're around music so much, is we get strength from my song. That's where joy comes from, strength from my, joy, my song. Look at a portion of 12 too, that second portion that we mentioned earlier. For the Lord God is my strength and my what? It's my song. He's become my salvation. Later on in that passage, in verse 5, it says this. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. You know that the prophet said, he said, New Testament Christians, covenant people, gospel-centered people are going to be people who sing. The reason they're going to be people who sing is because their hearts are with the Lord. There's joy in our song. It doesn't mean you have to be a good singer. I'm certainly not one. It doesn't mean you have to be musical. But there's a song in our hearts all three of my kids, when they were young, and I'd put them to bed, I had little songs I would sing to them. No, you will never hear what those songs sound like. But they were special to them. I made sure that no one could hear them, that Beth did not have a recording device because my wife Beth here puts everything on Facebook. And I love that about her, but I didn't want her to put that, my song on Facebook. But I have songs that are special to my kids. And it's not about my tone, and it's not about whether they're good or not. It's about the love behind the songs. There's a song in our hearts. There's a song in our hearts. And when we sing Christmas carols, they can either be these traditional songs that are on 92.9 or that we had to sing in high school choir, or they can be songs that speak to our salvation and come out of the flow of who we are. And there's great joy in that. It's not joy in just automatically singing the right lyrics because many people have sung the right lyrics without the right heart. The joy is understanding the implications 
behind the lyrics. The songs we sang this morning, long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. How many know that's happened to me, it's happened to you? That's where joy comes from. Joy comes from understanding the gospel, understanding the joy of our salvation, understand, choosing trust instead of fear. And then there's a strength in our songs. Joy is not in global progress. Joy is not in national prominence. Joy is not in the progress of social institutions because they will fail. Joy is not choosing the winning team or the winning candidate or the winning lottery number. Joy is not through wealth. Joy is not through relationships. Joy, joy is not through earthly power. Permanent joy is not rooted in the temporary, changing, worldly circumstances we have. You know where joy is? Joy is in a story. And joy is in a journey. And joy is in a manger. And joy is in a baby. And joy is in a sacrifice. And joy is in a cross. And joy is in an empty tomb. And joy is in a God who promised that he would come again for us. That he would be a friend that would always be there for us. A God who would not leave us as orphans or he would not leave us abandoned, but he is as close as a mention of his name. It's the presence of Jesus. The incarnation is not something we just remember. The incarnation is something we live right now. His presence is here. His presence is among us. I'm gonna ask our ushers to begin to prepare to take to uh, distribute communion today. And I want you to know if you're visiting with us, anyone who believes in Jesus and believes he's the way of salvation, you're free to take communion. Some may let communion pass today and anyone's free to let communion pass if for any reason you choose that. There's no judgment to that. But all are welcome to take communion because what is gonna happen is this, is before we eat the bread and drink the cup in solidarity, every single one of us in here are gonna pray a prayer together. We're gonna repent of sins. We're gonna center ourselves on Jesus. We're gonna be Jesus people, gospel-centered people, people who are focused on him, not focused on ourselves, turning our attention away from ourselves, turning our attention on him. And, and making things right with the Lord today. So we're all gonna have that opportunity. So as Beth is here in a moment, Beth will be leading us in a song after I pray. And when she does, I want you to, you can sing with her, you can meditate on those words, or, um, or certainly what I want you to do is examine your heart. And as the Holy Spirit shows you any sin in your life, I want you to become aware of those things. And when I come back, we're gonna to pray together. And every single one of us, we're gonna repent of our sins. We're gonna turn back to Christ. And then we're gonna take the Lord's table in unity and make sure that Jesus is our center and Jesus is our focus. Let's pray together. God, as you have used this scripture in Isaiah 12 uh, to, focus us, to focus us on joy in a very specific way, not in a circumstantial way, but Lord, you've caused us to focus on joy in a very Jesus-centered gospel way. And Lord, turn all of our hearts to the cross. Turn our hearts to the empty tomb. And we pray that this day, God, as our hearts are turned back to where they need to be, that Lord, we would have a great sense of your presence, that your presence would be among us, that your presence would dwell with us. And I wanna pray over you right now. Listen, I, I don't have the power to do this in myself, but, but God has has caused me and invited me to pray for you today. I, I, I wanna pray for a new measure of God's presence in your life. 
a new and, and what that means is it's a new awareness. It's a new openness to the presence of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak to fear in this place. And Lord, you said that perfect love cast out all fear. God, I know that many are bound in fear. There's many phobias of fear here. Jesus, they leave by the mention of your name. And Lord, we say the name of Jesus and we say the name of Jesus over every person in this room and every fear has to leave in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the spirit of fear will not conquer us for greater is the one within us than that spirit of fear in the world. And that perfect love drives out all fear. Father, I pray freedom over my friends today in Jesus' name.